Well, good morning, church. I hope you're doing well today. Uh, if you don't know me, uh, my name is Billy, and uh, I served on staff here about seven and a half years ago. Uh, so if you have come uh, in the last seven and a half years, you have no idea who I am. Um, and so uh, this place is super special uh, to not only me, but my wife. Uh, I met my wife here. Uh, I tore down the walls in the blue building to expand our space back in the day when we were getting started. Um, many of you guys know me. I know you. It's so awesome to see faces that I know and have known for a long time. It's so awesome to see new faces that God has began to work and stir in uh, around here. This place is, is such a special place. I mean, I've grown. Uh, I grew in my relationship with God so much uh, when I was a part this body of believers. Um, uh, you guys sent me out to go plant a church in Vidalia, and we've been there for seven and a half years, uh, and that's been awesome, and Brandon has walked alongside of us so well and supported us in, in a number of ways, and uh, that has been so good. And, and I, honestly, I just love your pastors. I love Brandon, Susan. I love uh, Austin, love Jordan, love these guys. Uh, you know, I could go through every, every one of them, but I want you know who you are and uh, the partnership that we now have with not only this church, but the other uh, six churches in our network to partner together uh, to plant uh, more places because, you know, we need places all over the world just like this one that love Jesus, that love each other, and that are committed to seeing the mission of God continue to move forward. And so I'm so thankful to be here. Uh, I want to pray for us. If you got your Bible, I want you to open up to Matthew chapter 4. Uh, Matthew chapter 4 is where we'll be. Let me pray for us, and uh, we'll jump into that. So, Father, uh, thank you. Uh, God, Bethany said it so well. God, you are so good to us. And, Lord, we can just trace uh, your goodness. And, uh, Lord, even uh, as you moved in my heart uh, so many years ago uh, among this body, and, God, what you have been able to do in my life, um, even for a kid that had no idea what it meant to follow you. God, you've been so patient with me, and God, you've shown me your goodness over and over again, God, and I, I couldn't say thank you enough for that. So, Lord, I pray this morning, uh, God, as we open your word, uh, we, we look at how clearly you've given us this calling on our life, uh, Lord, that you would help us not only clearly understand it through the power of your spirit, but also clearly surrender to it through the power of your spirit. And God, whatever worries or anxieties or thoughts that come to our mind that keep us from fully surrendering to you. Father, I pray this morning you'd knock that down and Lord, we'd fall to our knees and surrender to you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. So John gave me a question and uh, if you know me, you probably already know the answer to this question without even me preaching it. But the question is, is this, what would be the one thing that if the church took a hold of, that if you and I took a hold of in our life, would make the biggest kingdom impact? What would be that one thing? And uh, simply put, I'm going to overcomplicate it a little bit and give you a little bit more than this. Simply as I can put it, it would be follow Jesus. Like follow Christ with everything you have, with everything that you are, follow Jesus. And I, I want to break that into two things this morning. Uh, to one, I want every person in this room to clearly understand the call of Christ on our life, the invitation of Christ. What is that invitation? But then also, I want to challenge you to surrender to that, right? Because, uh, you know, it, it's, it's, the calling can seem overwhelming at times. But if you can get to the other side of it and surrender and go through all the insecurity and all of the, the, the just uh, anxiety that comes with you not being in control of your life, 
but allowing God to be in control of your life, what God can do with your life is absolutely incredible. And I'm a testimony of that. Many of you guys in this room are a testimony to that. And so to do that, I want to look at Matthew chapter 4, verses 18 through 22. And this is Jesus's call or Jesus's invitation to his first disciples. And it reads this way. As Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew. Now, I don't know how much you guys know about fishermen in the Bible as well as the place of Galilee, uh, but here's what I can tell you. Galilee was a pretty country place, so to speak. I'm going to be nice. I used uh, middle ground in the first service and I offended some people, but uh, I don't know what y'all would consider country around here. In my head, my first thought was, was Cleto, uh, but I don't know if you're from there. I don't want to offend you. Back where I'm from, we would use a place called Cedar Crossing, or we actually have a town called Santa Claus in Tombs County, which is weird. And so one of these places just on the outskirts of town that really, if you don't know the area, you wouldn't even know it existed out there. And so when Jesus comes along and he thinks of where am I going to call my disciples, he doesn't go to the major city. He doesn't go to the people that you think he would go to. He goes uh, to Cleto or Middle Ground or Hope You Like It or, or Portal uh, for Jason out there. He goes to these places and he finds not the, not the mayor of these places or not the, the elite or not the, even the influential he goes to the fishing dock. Now, when I say a fishing dock, I'm not talking like me and you on a pond, like casting out, you know, trying to catch some bass with our own fishing pole. This is a commercial fishing thing. This is what uh, they did for a living. Andrew and Peter fished for a living. I mean, you think nets, boats, all these, uh, you know, things that, that they would. So don't think Bassmaster, think deadliest catch, so to speak. And this is where Jesus goes, which in itself is a sermon, right? The fact that God would come from heaven to earth and organize his dream team, so to speak, to, to basically spread the gospel to the ends of the earth and the world. And he doesn't pick the, I mean, if you're in here and you have any knowledge of sports whatsoever, you try to get the best people on your team so that you can win, right? Jesus didn't do that. Like he went to the ordinary of the ordinary and he said, hey guys, you come here and I'm about to change the world through what I'm going to do in your life. And, and that for me brings me so much comfort because I'm one of those ordinary people that God was able to do that. And I hope you in this room, if you're not uh, too prideful, can humble yourself and say, man, I'm kind of an ordinary guy. And I want you to see this morning that you're the, exactly the type of person that God wants to use to do incredible things for his kingdom here. So it goes on. He says, they were casting a net into the lake for they were fishermen. That's what you do as a fisherman. Verse 19. And then Jesus makes this statement. And this is what I want you to underline, highlight, lipstick, whatever you got to underline it. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. I have it memorized in this way. Come, follow me, and I will make you a fisher of men. That's what the ESV says. And so come, follow me, I will make you a fisher of men. This is the invitation of Christ. This is the call of Jesus for us to become followers. So let's memorize that real quick because I really want to beat it into your brain here for a second. So repeat with me. Come, follow me, and I will send you out to fish for people. All right, that's the call we're looking at. And then he goes on in verse 20. At once they left their nets and followed him. Verse 21, going on from there, he saw two other brothers, now he's like, all right, I got my fishermen. These guys are ordinary people. Let's go get the good guys. No, he stays at the fishing dock and he sees James and John. Listen to what he says. 
It says, going from there, he saw two, two other brothers, James, son of Zebedee, and their brother John. They were in a boat with their father, Zebedee. Why he didn't call his father, I have no idea, but he didn't. He said, Father, you stay, come. Maybe he was too old. I don't know. Can you be too old in the kingdom? I don't know. With their father, Zebedee, preparing their nets. And then Jesus called them. He gave them the same calling, which would be, come, follow me, and I will make you a fisher of men. And then immediately they left their net, net their boat, and their father, and they followed him. So we see this immediate leaving of their old life and embracing this new life that Christ has for them, which is to follow him and to become a fisher of men, because that is the clear call of Jesus. There's so many things about this passage that I love. Listen, I could teach five sermons on this one passage, but I'm not going to do that. Uh, one could be the fact that Jesus came from heaven to earth uh, to live among us. Like just the fact that the God of the universe that created everything looks down and came to live among us. That's a good God. Every other religion says we got to climb up and get to God and we never know if we get there until the end. But Christianity teaches the gospel of Jesus Christ is that he came from heaven to earth to not only save us, but to show us the way and to fill us with his spirit so that now he can lead us. Such an incredible picture of the gospel. Not only that, the fact that Jesus went to Galilee and the fishing dock to find his team. We've already talked about that. Just the, his willingness to use ordinary people is just amazing to me. Not only that, the fact that Jesus shows us very clearly here that the best method of changing the world is life-on-life -life discipleship, right? So you may look at what I'm doing, what Brandon does on a regular basis, Jordan, all, this, all the preachers here, and you say, I'm never going to stand up there on that stage and preach. And here's what I tell you. That's okay. God doesn't say everybody's got to stand up here and preach. I mean, it's, I, I never would have thought I was doing this. But what God does say is that each of us must give our life to invest in other people. Like, that's his plan. That's the plan of the church is that every person in this room, specifically ordinary people, would come to Christ, would commit their life to follow him, and then would begin to invest and fish uh, for other people. That's God's plan, and that's what he has orchestrated and ordained so that the church could be filled with his glory all the way to the ends of the earth. And so what I want to focus on today is the clarity and simplicity of this invitation. Now, don't confuse simplicity with ease, right? Because we all know following Jesus is not an easy task. I had a conversation with a guy after the first service. He's like, so you're telling me I got to share the gospel? And I'm like, yeah, that's what I'm telling you, right? Saved people, share the gospel. That's what we do. That's what God calls us to do in tough environments. Yep, that's what I'm telling you. So that's the picture of what God is calling us to do in this room. And so I want to break it up into three points. The first is the call to come to him. That's his first invitation is come to him. The first part. Second part is follow me. So it's a call to follow him. And then the third part is to be a fisher of men. So let's talk about each of these and break them down. So the first one is this, the call to come to Jesus, right? He says, come, follow me, and I will make you a fisherman. I will send you out to fish for people. Come is a very simple word, C-U-O-M. Come to me. It's literally the greatest invitation you will ever receive. It is a invitation from the God of the universe. Think about this. The God, think of the most important person in your world. 
I don't know who that is. Maybe uh, you'd say uh, Joe Biden, the president of the United States, or maybe you'd say, man, if I could meet LeBron James, or if I could meet Steph Curry, or if I could meet uh, Tom Brady, or if I could meet, uh, maybe you like Chick-fil-A, Truett Cathy when he was alive, whatever it is that you put in that, that goal. And it's like, man, if I could just meet this person, well, God's greater than that person. And this God chose to come from heaven down to earth and to come to us ordinary people with an invitation. And that invitation is just come to me, like come to me, right? Which we have to understand the Jewish culture to really understand this invitation. But because the Jewish culture, uh, rabbis wouldn't go to people like rabbis would have students, but the students would come to the rabbis which is such a picture of God's grace that he doesn't ask us uh, to come to him. He comes to us, which is a, such a picture of God's grace in so many ways. And notice the invitation is not, hey, come do these things, right? That's not the invitation of Christ. It's not, hey, come follow these rules. It's not, hey, let's look at your credentials and see if you really add up. Uh, it's not, hey, come clean yourself up. No, he simply says, come to me. And he walks up to Andrew, to Peter, to James and John. And the invitation again and again is come to me. Matthew talks about this invitation a little more expansive in Matthew eleven twenty-eight 28 through 30. Let's read that. Jesus says, come to me. Again, we see our, our invitation. All you who are weary and burdened. Do I have any weary or burdened people? You ever been there? Weary and burdened. And I will give you rest. So he come to me and the promise of coming to Jesus is rest. That's an incredible promise. Then he goes on, verse 29. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I, am getting, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So he says, those who are weary, those who are burdened, come to me and I will give you rest. This is an incredible invitation, without a doubt, the greatest invitation in the history of the world. Jesus literally promises rest for our souls. And there's no other thing, no other place, no other person, no other purpose in this world that can offer you what Christ offers. Like nothing. But we live in a world, literally, we live in a world that wants you to believe the opposite. It wants you to believe that money can bring you rest. It wants you to believe that sex or relationships, a new relationship can bring you rest or power or a successful life or another college degree or, man, if I could just be friends with this person or a reputation, if people would just think a lot of me or if, if I could just live out this American dream where I, I, I find a, a spouse, we get married and we, we, we build a perfect family and the perfect house, dog and, and all this and live happily ever after, I'll be at rest and I'll be fulfilled. But Jesus and scripture are very clear. That is not the method of Jesus satisfying the deepest desires of our hearts. This is why you don't have to have anything of this world to be the most satisfied person in the entire world. First John 5, 12 says, he who finds Christ finds life. The soul created by God will only find rest in its creator. Amen. The soul created by God for God what is only designed to find satisfaction and fulfillment in one place, and that's in Christ. All the deep minds of theology and philosophy know this. C.S. Lewis, one of my favorite authors, says it this way, if I find in myself desires which nothing in this world can satisfy, the only logical explanation is that I was made for another world. 
It's beautiful. St. Augustine, who is a great father of the faith in his prayers, confessions, says it this way. You have made us for yourself, O Lord, and our hearts are restless until they find rest in you. And this is without a doubt the most important, the most valuable, the most life-changing realization that any person in this room will ever get to. And listen, it's a hard place to get to. The path for us to get to that point for all of us is different. But by God's grace, he takes us through that path sovereignly. For some of us, it takes getting to rock bottom before we realize that we were created for more than what this world has to offer. For some of us, it takes myself, a sports injury, and God pretty much shattering my identity in sports to show me that I was made for something more. I don't know what it is in your life, but I'm telling you, it's God's grace that brings you to that moment where you think in your head, man, there's got to be more to life than this. And listen, all the big name people in our, in our world, if they're honest with you, will tell you. I mean, Tom Brady said that before. Ted Turner, the richest people on the earth that had everything the world has to offer, literally get to a place in their life where everything by the world standards is going good. And they come back and they say, man, there's got to be more to life than this. Because there is a God-sized shaped hole in their heart that will only be fulfilled with one thing. And the greatest realization that any person in this room can get to is when you realize that hole is in the shape of Christ and you begin to put Christ where he deserves to be, where he's worthy to be in your life. It's the ultimate game changer. And the good news this morning is that Jesus is inviting you into this. Like this is his invitation. Like I don't care where you're at. Jesus don't even, he don't even ask for, hey, tell me about your past. Oh, you're pretty screwed up, man. I don't know. Like you stay over there. Uh, hey, this guy looks cool. Let's, he's, he's ready. No, he doesn't do that. He walks up to the fishing dock in Galilee and just says, come to me. Like no prerequisites, just come to me. That's the picture of the invitation of the gospel. And he's simply standing in front of you this morning, wherever you are, and he's saying, come to me. I want to give you life. I want to give you rest. I want to satisfy your soul. It is the greatest invitation you will ever receive. So here's my question. What's keeping you from coming to him? Like, what is it in your life that keeps you from coming to God? And you say, okay, Billy, well, I'm saved. I've already come to God. Well, well here's, whoa, whoa. As a Christian or as an unbeliever, what is it in your life that keeps you from coming to God? Because we know you get saved in one day, but this is a journey, right? And so, and, 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 and Satan knows what he's doing. So if he can get you to a place of self-dependency where you think you can do it without God, he's going to get you there. And when you get there, you're, you're about to, to be destroyed in a lot of different ways. And so what is it that's keeping you? Is it in your life? Is it pride? Listen, I know this one personally. Like God uses this sin in my heart all the time. Pride leads us to a place where we think we don't need God. And listen, pride is the grandfather of all sin. It can do a number of things and it looks a, different, a number of different things. But ultimately when you get down to it, pride leads you to arrogance and arrogance leads you to think you can do life without God. And when you get to that point, it will keep you from coming to God. And it's God's grace that destroys pride and destroys a prideful person so that he can humble him back down to draw him back in and say, you thought you could do it, but now you haven't. But the good news of the gospel is you don't have to be destroyed before you accept the invitation. Amen? Right? We can today come to God and say, I'm laying my pride down. Are you confused? 
Maybe you're in here and you just don't trust God. Maybe you've been, you've, you've, you've been hurt by the church and hurt by a person who, who calls themselves a Christian. Maybe that's you. And you just say, Billy, I just don't trust God. Specifically, I don't trust him enough to come and give him my life and give him control of everything. Like, how am I supposed to trust him when Joe Christian over here uh, literally was, was, you know, was supposed to be a professional Christian and he's behind his back living in sin and living like hell and he just let me down or this person was supposed to be a part of my church family and they gossip behind my back and talk to my boss and got me fired. And I don't know what it is, whatever your story is, but at the end of the day, it's led you to a place where you don't trust God. And if you don't trust God, you won't come to God. You'll go to something that you trust, like alcohol or like drugs, or you'll go to a trusted friend and you'll try to put them into the spot where only God is meant to be. And I'm telling you today, you can trust God. But if you want to trust God, don't base your trust on God on people. Base your trust on God, on the God of Scripture and the Jesus that we see in Scripture. Maybe you're deceived. Uh, maybe you think sin is better. Uh, I've been here too. Like this is in my heart where you literally, the most attractive thing in your life is doing what you want to do when you want to do it. Anybody been there? All of us, right? If we're honest, we have this idea that it, when we're in control of our life, we think life is going to work out better. When someone else is in control of our life, how do I know that they're not leading me somewhere that I don't want to go, right? I've had this conversation with a number of people. They just, you know, they don't, man, if I surrender to God, he's gonna send me somewhere in the Middle East where I'm gonna have to die for my faith. And it's like, well, he might, but he may not. Like he hadn't sent me there, so maybe he won't send you there. But at the end of the day, whether God sends you there or doesn't, you got to trust him. You might be confused and think that your way is better. And, and 2 Corinthians 4, as we all know, says the God of this world is blinding the minds of unbelievers to keep them from coming to the gospel, seeing the light of the gospel, coming to Jesus. And maybe in, your, in this room and you're a Christian or maybe you're not a Christian and, and Satan's just blinding your eyes. And, and the way we know our eyes have been blinded is when things are, are more attractive to us than Christ is in our life. Or, or maybe you're in this room and you're just kind of lollygagging through life and you're like, Billy, I got more time, bro. Like I'm in college. I mean, every college student, like I don't really want to settle down yet. Like the college years, there's a, there's a, there's a gap where I can do whatever I want to do. And as long as I don't die, then when I get married and have kids, I can settle down and get back into the church. Well, yeah, that's a great plan until it ain't, right? You know what I mean? And so most people who are beyond college can look back and say, yeah, that sounds awesome. But the damage that you can do in your life when you're not living for God, the consequences of that damage can go all the way into the deepest parts of your life. And God's just in front of you and saying, listen, why would you believe the lie? Like, why would one, you trust that you know your life and when you're going to be here and when you're not, but two, why would you not come to the God who has an incredible plan for you and wants to give you abundant life? But I pray today, whatever it is that's keeping you from coming to God and surrendering to him, that you would lay it down and trust that God is who he says he is. And because I think when you read this scripture, a lot of people misinterpret it, in my opinion, because you can almost read it. And, and, and think, man, Andrew and Peter had a lot of faith, you know, like they didn't even know this guy. Like he just walked by the fishing hole and said, hey, hey, come and follow me. And they just left everything to follow him. No, that'd be dumb. Like if somebody does that to you and they walk by and they're like, hey, I'm Jesus. You should come and follow me. You should call the police immediately. 
So John tells us in his gospel that Andrew was a follower of John the Baptist, right? So we know there was a, there was a preface before they just made this decision. Like there was an investigation and, and John the Baptist preached that Jesus would be coming and he would be the Messiah. So when Jesus comes by, Andrew and Peter knew that this was the Messiah. This is who the Old Testament had pointed about. And when he got there, they said, yep, he's our guy. We're done. Because remember, Jesus was, or John the Baptist was baptizing people. And he's baptizing Andrew, Peter, all these guys. And, and when uh, Jesus comes by, what's he do? Hey, it's time for me to decrease. It's time for him to increase. Y'all go let him baptize you. He's your guy. So they knew who he was, and they trusted him enough to do number two, which is the call to follow him. The second part of Jesus's invitation is to follow me, right? So where I think we uh, get it wrong sometimes is we, re- we like the first part of Jesus's invitation, right? Come to me, all you who are burdened and, and, and weary. You just come to me and I'm going to give you rest. I'm going to give you life. That sounds awesome if that was it. But if you know Christianity and you know the invitation of Christ, you come to Jesus to be a disciple of Jesus, right? We come to Christ to say, Lord, I trust you not only because you've come to save me, but I trust you because I'm created to be in relationship with you and I'm created to live for you, to be an image bearer, to live on mission with you. And so when we come to Christ, we must count the cost of following Jesus because we don't get the come to me without the follow me. That makes sense? And so a lot of times we want to come to Jesus, but we want to come to Jesus on our own terms. And this is the biggest issue that we will face, not only today, but in the coming generations. I I know it. Like in my history of church planting, which has been, I worked five years here and now seven and a half years in Vidalia. There's this epidemic that's sweeping across our country right now. Maybe you've seen it, maybe you haven't, maybe you've bought into it. But here it is. It's, it's, People want Jesus, but they want their own Jesus. I call it Build-A-Bear theology. You ever been to a Build-A-Bear store? Anybody ever been to a Build-A-Bear store? So when you walk into a Build-A-Bear store, you're building a bear for a child, and you can literally do whatever you want to do with it. Whatever you know tickles your fancy, you do it, right? You want him in uh, uh, blue, or you want him to be white. You want him to have a sweater on, hat, you know, whole deal. You can get whatever you want. And what's happened is people have kind of moved this over to Christianity, right? And it's not new. I mean, it seems new, but it's not. I mean, Benjamin Franklin did the same thing, right? So you get this idea of, man, I want Christ and all the good things that Christ brings. But, man, if, if anything's hard or causes me to be uncomfortable or, man, makes me feel, yeah, I don't, I don't really want to do that. And so what happens is we begin to pick and choose the type of Christ that we want to follow. And we don't follow the Christ of the Bible. We follow the Christ of our imagination, which in essence is just us. And so what we have to begin to do, this is why the authority of Scripture is such a big deal, right? And, and so if you, you ever see a church that doesn't trust the authority of God's word, then they've, they've fallen into this build-a-bear theology where they're just kind of doing what they want to do and, and basically forming their own God. But God's given us the revelation of himself in this. And here's the key. Rest for your soul and satisfaction for your soul and fulfillment in your life rest not in following the God of your imagination. That's the lie. It comes with following the Christ of the Bible, even if that Christ makes us uncomfortable. And that's where we cannot fall into that lie. 
because that's sweeping across our country right now. We must follow the God of the Bible. This is why clarity in the invitation of Jesus and understanding his word and what he's doing is so crucial in our lives. And so you see the Jewish culture, again, uh, this idea of discipleship would be a rabbi to a student, right? So when you accept the call to follow Jesus, you're essentially saying, I want to be a student of Jesus. Like, I want to follow him. I want to become like him. I want to know what he thinks and know what he does, and I want to embrace his lifestyle. So the invitation of Jesus to follow me is an invitation into a new life of discipleship. And we all know, listen, when we're saved, we uh, get perfection in Christ, like we receive his righteousness. But if you're anything like me, you know, after salvation, Christ has given you righteousness, but my life was a mess and I needed some help. Like I needed to know, like, God, how do I live not for sin and and what I've lived my whole life for? And how do I begin to live for you? And that's what we get in Christ. Don't you love a God that that says, hey, Billy, I'm going to save you, but then you go figure it out on your own. It's what I call butt tap discipleship, right? If you played football, your coach would like scream at you. You'd never know what he was saying. Then he'd tap you on your butt and be like, get in there, go get him. I'm like, what did you just say? Like you're spitting and yelling. I don't even know what you're telling me to do. And, And, but Christ didn't do that. Like Christ would teach his disciples, but he wouldn't just teach them. He would model what he was teaching for them and say, you see what I'm doing, you go and do likewise. And this is what following Christ is all about. And this is what community is all about. Listen, when I got here as a college student, I believe I I understood who Christ was and I understood the gospel. But I had never seen the gospel lived out. I mean, I went to a church where they preached at you. They were right. You were wrong. You know, don't have sex. Don't get do this, don't get drunk, blah, blah, blah. All right, how do I do that? Crickets, right? So is that. And then I show up and Brandon, God's led Brandon to plant this church. And so I, I you know, start coming. And I'm like, man, this dude's real. He's authentic. Like he's talking about struggles that he has, issues that he has. He's teaching God's word. He's showing how to do it. And he's like, hey, you need to join this group, this connect group. And so he throws me in this connect group and I get in there with like five guys that loved Christ, like literally loved him, wanted to follow him, wanted to honor him, wanted to grow, wanted to fight sin in their life, wanted to live on mission and share the gospel with people. And I'm sitting in this room and I was nervous. I didn't want to go. And he's like, yeah, you need to do this. You need to do this. And I'm like, I don't, I don't know. So I finally go and I sit in there and I hear these guys talk. And my first thought is this, whatever they got, I don't have. Like, I don't know what they're smoking, but I ain't smoking the same thing. You know what I mean? It's the kind of that feeling. You ever been in a room where you just feel out of place? And I'm like, but I thought we were all Christians. And so they start, they just loved God's word. Like they wanted to study it. They, they wanted to honor God in their lives. They wanted to talk about people in their life that they wanted to share the gospel with and bring into their life. And they were fired up about serving people and trying to make a difference and honoring God in every area of their life. And I'm like, did I miss something? And what I'd missed is discipleship. Like I literally, nobody had told me anything. Like it was just preaching from a stage. And I'm telling you, if you're in this room and all you're doing is showing up to hear Brandon preach, listen, he's an incredible preacher, like awesome. And that alone can keep you here, but that's not gonna keep you in the game of following Jesus. Like you got to know Christ and you got to follow Jesus and you got to surround yourself with people who are trying to do the same thing. Messy people that are trying to do the same thing. And you got to say, why do you do that? 
How do you do this? Why do you live this way? Why do you teach your kids like that? Or why do you, how are you sharing the gospel? Like you just baptized somebody. How did you get them to a point where they wanted to surrender to Christ? You got to ask those questions because the idea of following Jesus is becoming a student of Christ. So the idea that we can be a follower of Jesus and not study our Bible is wrong. Like, I'm not yelling at you for not studying your Bible, but I'm like, if you're trying to follow Jesus, this needs to be a priority in your life. The idea that you can follow Jesus and not surround yourself with people, you're just handicapped as a Christian. And Jesus knows that. So he says, follow me. He sets an example for these people and invites them into community. And he's telling them, turn away from your old life and turn and embrace this new way of life, which may not seem better right now, but I can promise you 12 and a half years on the backside of it, it is the abundant life. And if you've been in here and you followed Christ for any, it's not easy, but you know it is the best life. And the Bible teaches us that when we become a Christian, we're a new creation and we have a new identity and God's spirit has filled us and it's filled us with a purpose. And that purpose is to become like Jesus. And somewhere along the way, American Christianity has lost that. And I pray that every person in this room understands that that's what you're up against. Like you no longer can consider a person that goes to church to be a Christian. Like I'm telling you, I'm, I'm in this every day. I think about it all the time when somebody says, hey, are you a Christian? Yeah, I go to so-and-so's church. Okay, well, tell me about your relationship with God. That person's probably not a Christian, but how genius of a plan of our enemy, right? Hey, go to church, been baptized, been confirmed, no relationship with God. You're good, got your fire insurance. You're not going to hell. Be satisfied with that. That is shallow Christianity. Like God has so much more for your life than just a get out of hell card. Like he wants to know you and wants to, to walk with you and use you for his purposes in this kingdom and give you this abundant life that he has promised. You see, following Jesus is a turning from an old sinful life and following Jesus and embracing this new way of life. And it changes everything about us. We see this in scripture. I'm gonna bounce through this pretty quickly, but you can write it down we see clearly there's five characteristics of a disciple in the Bible, right? So again, don't base your view of a disciple off of what I say. You base it off of what scripture says, right? So you can't trust people in a lot of ways. You can trust me, hopefully. I don't know if I can say that after this, but I'm gonna point you to scripture. The first characteristic of a disciple we see in scripture is from Luke chapter nine, verses 23 and 24. This is where Jesus himself says, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross daily, and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will save it. The first characteristic of a disciple is self-denial. So how do I know if I'm a follower of Christ? I'm living my life in self-denial. Like I'm trying to fight sin in my life. The best way to understand sin is this desire in you to do what you want to do when you want to do it, to be in control of your life. If you're in this room and you've just kind of continued to do whatever you want to do when you want to do it, you have not become a disciple of Christ. 
And I lovingly say that. Like, you need to understand, like, when you commit to Christ, this is what he is asking you to commit to, self-denial. Secondly, John 13, 34 and 35, a new command I give you. This is Jesus again. Love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples. That's a big statement. How are people going to know if you're a disciple of Christ? If you love one another. Right? So how do you know if you've embraced the lifestyle of discipleship? Well, one, your self-denial. Two, your love for others. The love that God has poured out for you on the cross, which is unconditional love, when we didn't deserve it, he loved us, pursued us, we just sang about it, and now we begin to, in return, love others the same way. Right? And the key to this love is it's unconditional. You got me? Unconditional. That, that takes it to a new level. Like, it's easy to love people that are easy to love. It's hard to love people that are hard to love. Somebody that's wronged you, somebody that stabbed you in your back, somebody that just gets on your nerves. God says, as a disciple, we need to fight towards loving this person the way he loved you. The only way that you'll be able to love people that way is to stay in in sync with God and his love for you. And when we link up with God and we're thinking about how he loved us when we didn't deserve it, it drives us and compels us to love others the same way. I'm going to hurry through the rest of these. The third one is missional living. I'm going to talk about this in a minute. Matthew 4.19, I will send you out to fish for people. You will become a fisher of men. So if we're a disciple and we're not fishing for men, we have not embraced the lifestyle of a disciple. Fourthly is love for God and his word. John 8, uh, 42 through 47. Really, you got to expand that. It's a, it's a really incredible conversation with Jesus and the Pharisees uh, where he's, they're, they're like, yeah, we're sons of Abraham. We believe we're, we're Christians. Da, 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 da. And, and he's like, well, why are you not listening to what I say? Like, I'm God and you're not listening to what I say. So your father must not be Abraham because he was a faithful man that listened to God. You're listening to your other father, which is the devil. And it's like, oh, shoot. Jesus, come on now. And so he gets in their face, tells them this, and then he comes to the end of the passage and basically says, if I'm telling you the truth, why don't you believe me? Whoever belongs to God, hears what God says, and the reason you do not hear it is that you don't belong to God. And so if you are not hearing God and doing what he's telling you to do, then that's a good indicator you've not embraced the lifestyle of a disciple. And then the fifth and final one I'll share, these are just some, not all, is unconditional commitment. Unconditional commitment, Luke 14, 25 uh, through 35. Jesus goes on to talk uh, about uh, this. If anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even their own life, such a person cannot be my disciple. And whoever does not carry their cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. Suppose one of you wants to build a tower. Won't you first sit down and estimate the cost to see if uh, you have enough money to complete it? For if you lay the foundation and are not able to finish it, suppose a king is about to go to war against another king. Won't first that king sit down and consider whether he is able with 10,000 men to oppose the one coming against him with 20,000? If he is not... Uh, able, he will send a delegation while the other is still a long way off and ask for terms of peace. In the same way, those of you who do not give up everything you have cannot be my disciples. Salt is good, but if it loses its saltiness, then how can it be made salty again? It is fit neither for the soul nor for the manure pile. It is thrown out and whoever has ears, let them hear. So here's my question. Is your life characterized by these things? You know, I always tell our people in Vidae that there's one prerequisite to following Jesus. You got to be honest. 
got to be honest about yourself. you got to be honest where you are. Listen, you can live your entire life and never honestly evaluate where you truly are. But the moment you begin to do that and you ask the Holy Spirit to come show you and reveal you, it begins a process in your life that God is about to just show up and do some cool things in your life. So is your life characterized by these things? Have there ever been a time where you turn from your old lifestyle? I'm not talking about being perfect. I'm talking about, I do not want to live for myself anymore. And I want to embrace the lifestyle that Christ has for me. It's a fight. Listen, anybody that's a Christian in this room will tell you every day you wake up wanting to do what you want to do. But the disciple will say in their heart and on their knees, God, I need your help. I want to live for you today. Have you embraced this fight in your life? The third thing, third part of the invitation is a call to fish for people. Uh, The invitation of Jesus is a call to mission, right? This is another thing that we like to separate out and say, okay, well, I love the good part of Jesus. I just want to come to him so he can save me. But as far as following him and and living on mission, man, I don't know about all that. That stuff kind of makes me uncomfortable. But we see that the invitation is the invitation. Like we can't change the invitation The Bible says count the cost and realize if Jesus, who he says he is, is who he says he is, it's worth it. Like it's worth it. And I want to do whatever he's called me to do in my life. And he wants you to fish for men. It is an invitation into a purpose-driven life. It's an invitation to join the God of the universe in his purpose of reconciling all men and women to himself. What an opportunity. God wants to use ordinary people like you and I to rescue other people. Anywhere else you see water or fishing in the Bible, I heard a pastor say, it's always connected to judgment. But then Jesus comes along and he flips it on his head and says, now I want you to go fish people out of this water of judgment. And so the invitation of Christ is to fish people out of the waters of judgment on their sin. What an invitation that we get to do this. We have a statement over in Vidaea and it says this, I want you to write it down. Saved people live sent. Saved people live sin. It's a a spiritual impossibility to know the rescue mission that Jesus came on to save you and not want other people to know about it. You know, anytime we see somebody saved in scripture, for the most part, the number one evidence of their salvation is evangelism. Like they want other people to know about the hope that they've now found in Christ. You don't have to yell at them, which is, that's not what I want to do. I don't want to sit here and yell, you need to go share the gospel, go, go, go. I want to show you how, like, what does it look like to fish for men? Because I believe there's so many people in this room that you want to be used by God, but how do you do that? Well, I want to give you, when you're fishing, there's three critical things. I think this is a genius analogy. I can't make it up better than God. There's three things that are critical when you're catching fish. If you fish before you know it. You got to go to where the fish are. That's number one. Secondly, you got to be equipped or you got to have the right equipment. And then thirdly, you got to be patient. Like patience is the greatest virtue of a fisherman. What do I mean? Okay. You got to go to where the fish are. Where are lost people in your life? Like this is why the church is here to equip you to be sent out. So there's people in this room and you work in a business. You're a teacher, you're a coach, you work in the medical field. Wherever you are, God's placed you in a pond. Like you, you have relationships with people. Get out of your mind that you need to go door to door and say, hey, 
are you going to burn in hell today? Do you know where you're going if, if you, you die? I mean, I'm not against random evangelism, but I know in my life the most effective form of evangelizing is growing a friendship with a person, learning who they are, learning what they believe, and introducing them to the hope that you have, not forcing them to become Christian. If you talk them into it, somebody else will talk them out of it. But show them Christ because, honestly, the only Jesus that they may ever see is you. And so are we fishing in the pond that God's placed us in? But here's another challenge. There's ponds around the world where nobody's fishing. Like there's people around this world right now, billions of them that have no access to the gospel and nobody's even working among them. And so God may ask you to minister in this pond, but he also may ask you to fly across the big pond and go to places where nobody else is. And we as a disciple have to be willing to do what God asks us to do. We gotta be equipped. You say, Billy, well, what do I do? How do I do this? Well, here's a couple of things. One, you got the Holy Spirit. That's the equipping, right? That, that's huge. If you got the Spirit of God in you and you got a true relationship with Jesus, that's what God wants you. I mean, think about the Great Commission. Go, baptize, teach. Essentially, go to people that don't know Christ. Find, figure out a way outside of sin to get them to Christ and then teach them to walk with Jesus and obey everything he's commanded. It's, it's as simple as that. And listen, I know Jordan, my, one of my best friends, is the equipping pastor. He would love to have a conversation with you about what it looks like. You're in here, you're like, Billy, I know that sounds simple, but it's not simple for me. And you got all these questions, you're super anxious. Go talk to one of the pastors here. They would love to help you with this process. And then lastly, patience. Listen, discipleship would be very easy and the mission would be easy. If, if you could change people, you know? Like, wouldn't it be easy if I could just talk to you? I mean, there's people in this room, you leave this room, you're not changing. Like, there's nothing I can say that would cause you to leave this room, lay your life down and surrender to Jesus and live for him forever. Nothing I can say. But you know what? We do have a God that can change people, right? And when he chooses to do that, we don't know. But what we do know is that he wants to. And so we need to walk alongside of people long enough until God changes their life. And this requires deep patience. And so the question of the day and how I wanna to end today is this. Have you clearly, have you ever clearly understood the call of Jesus? Have you ever clearly understood it? Come, follow me and I will make you a fisher of men, or I will send you out to fish for people. One, have you ever understood it? But two, has there ever been a time where you surrendered to it? Like most people in this room at some point have come to Christ, but have you ever surrendered your life to the mission of God, surrendered your life to following Jesus forever, even when you didn't feel like it? This is the invitation that Jesus gave to his disciples. So right where you are, I want you to bow your head. I just want you to think, just you and God right now, take me out of the equation. I just wanna ask you questions that you can think about with God. Have you ever surrendered to the invitation of God? Has there ever been a moment where like Andrew and Peter and James and John, where you left your nets, you left your boat, you left your old life and said, God, I realize what you've done to save me. And not only do I wanna be saved, but I wanna follow you for the rest of my life. Has there ever been a moment where you surrender to God? If you're in this room and you say, Billy, never, I've never come to that place. Well, today's the day of salvation for you. I pray today that you would find somebody. We have a prayer team here and they'll, they'll be down front at the end of the service. I pray that you'd come talk to them, come ask them. 
Come ask him what it looks like to surrender your life to Christ. Let me pray. Father, we love you. God, we're so thankful, God, that you do not give up on us. God, I pray not only for the lost people in this room, but I pray for the Christian. God, the Christian that maybe has drifted away from you. God, I pray that they would understand the invitation has not come and gone. Like they can come back, Lord, would they come back and surrender their life. Father, Martin Luther says the Christian life is to, is to turn again. So Lord, I pray this morning that you'd be calling many sons and daughters back to you. And Father, I pray for the impact that could happen in this room if we would begin to fish for men in the ponds we're in and be willing to put our yes on the table to go to other ponds if that's what God wants for us. So Father, I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.